As you guys know, uh, we're in our week two of our financial fitness series. And as you guys also may remember, to make sure that I'm communicating uh, effectively, I always run my messages past my nine-year-old son, Josh. <laughs> so today, I, I, I wasn't able to go to everything because uh, it was kind of long, quite frankly. But I did, was able to get through a good n- amount of it. And this is what Josh said. So I'll give you guys the punchline. And if you fall asleep, that's okay. Just remember the punchline. <laughs> So he said, you know, Dad, I think what you're saying is don't spend too much money and don't want too much stuff, (laughs) okay? And afterwards, again, once again, I said, that's exactly it. What Josh is talking about and what he got out of what I was saying is what we're talking about today is called the law of contentment, okay? And and we're going to unpack through the rest of the weeks in this financial fitness series a lot of different things about what the Bible has to say about investing, saving your money, um, tithing, you know, these things. But if you don't get this point about the law of contentment first, it's such a foundational piece. Um, I think you're going to miss something probably real critical to being financially healthy. So, and and when, when you really boil it down, it really is about not wanting too much stuff and, and being content with what you have and not spending too much money. So here at KCF, um, we do not believe that God wants everybody to be a millionaire. So I'm really sorry. If that was, you're like, oh, man, right? This is, this is, this is not sort of what we believe uh, the Bible teaches. In fact, I think Jesus teaches the exact opposite of that. Not that... He wants everybody not to be a millionaire and be poor, but that, that is not the goal. And uh, as Pastor Mark taught us last week, there are many biblical principles towards what we call financial freedom. And we call it specifically financial freedom because otherwise, the opposite is your finances start to control you. It guides your decisions, it guides your behavior, your actions, and just your, your, your sense of well-being. And so when you follow things like I'm going to talk with you about today, the law of contentment, it'll give you what I believe would be truly financial freedom. In Ecclesiastes uh, 6 verses 9, it says, It's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. It's, It's better to be satisfied with what you have then always be wanting something else and this is very important because if you're not content then it's inevitable that your desire for more will exceed what you're able to pay for and what does this look like i i I think it looks like in large part just simply debt we carry so much debt and especially here in hawaii uh, as you guys know i work at a bank And in Hawaii, what we see so much of is that most of people's expenses are tied up in real estate. Most of their net worth is tied up in real estate. In fact, I was at a dinner last night, and uh, someone was remarking to me that they had just heard a study where something like 69% of our expenses are going towards rent or mortgage, and that is the highest in the country. It's a lot. And it's because we take on so much debt. And, and if, you, if you think about young people living in Hawaii and they want to own their own place, it's very, very difficult to think that they have that much cash stored up 
to be able to buy an apartment, a condo, even a house outright. So people often go into this 30 years of debt. And I think I just saw in the newspaper that the, the, well, the median price now on Oahu has topped 700000 And it's just, when you think about that figure, it's just, it blows you away. That people have to go into so much debt, and you might be paying 30 years just to, to pay for this house. And I, and I think about this as a, the, in terms of the law of contentment. I think this is so important because when you are at that point where you're shopping for a house, how do you make sure that you're shopping just for uh, what you can afford? It's so easy, I think, to get so caught up in the big dreams of the big house. And I think of it like when you, you ever went grocery shopping and on an empty stomach, you know? That's just a re- recipe for disaster, right? You go in there finally like, where did all this stuff in my shopping cart come from? I think if you go house shopping with that same appetite, that's the same thing that's going to happen. Because the lenders are going to lend you as much money as possible, right? That they think you can pay them back. In fact, there are some lenders will even go so far as to lend you maybe in some cases almost like the, hundred, the whole full value of the house. Because as long as the, the, the house values are appreciating, they figure they're covered. And if you stop payments, they're just going to take it. Dangerous stuff. Another area in... Uh, in the bank that you know, I oversee is credit cards. And that's a whole nother one. <laughs> so you think about it, it's even easier to, to like get caught up in that. I mean, I was researching this, and credit cards is really an American phenomenon. Started after the World War II. And, and what, it, what it did was really positive, right? It made it very convenient, very safe to transact. Because if you were you know, having to lug over a bunch of cash or your checkbook over to buy for something pretty expensive, it, you know, it gets kind of inconvenient, but also pretty, you know, not so secure if you have to bring in all these, you know, $100 bills somewhere, right, to Best Buy or something. But the dangerous side is, it is the easiest way for you to not know what you're spending. You know, I, I play this game with myself whenever the credit card bill comes in, <laughs> and the game I play is, I go like this, how much is the bill? <laughs> I don't know if you guys play the same game, right? And I always lose because I open it up and it's always more than I thought it was. I'm like, oh, man. You know, and I'm like, what? wait, wait, what? What did Tam buy? You know, <laughs> actually, it's the other way around. It's what I bought. <laughs> Tam is actually the good one. But I'm like, what? And there are at least more than one occasion, I got to tell you, I was, I was looking at the bill going, man, there's got to be an addition error. There's no way it's this much money. So I had to start to add this thing up and I'm like, yeah, it's exactly what Tam calls it. Tam calls credit cards, especially, like, death by a thousand cuts, you know? And I, I, I totally go, like, that is so true. Because every time I open that darn credit card bill, it's death by a thousand cuts. And, and as you look at the nation, right, the, the Time magazine had did an article and said that for every thousand dollars that the Americans make, we place $1,300 on our credit cards, we're, we're a nation that's going into debt. And Rick Warren, who, you know, his church created this series we're going through, he says it well. He goes, look, he goes, it's not rocket science to figure out why people are stressed out, why people are in debt, why people are going into foreclosure, because our yearnings are exceeding our earnings. Our yearnings are exceeding our earnings. 
And, and, and the basic principle is this. Our appetites are bigger than we can afford. We're not a content nation. And when it comes to our personal finances, it gets really, really dangerous. So if it helps you, and I've shared this with a lot of my friends before, I said if it helps you as a general principle, typically, and this is the guy who worked in banking. I used to run retail lending, okay? So, so it's a, it's a, it was a really tough thing for me, to be honest, right? Um, but I tell people this. I say, you know what, just as a friend or whatever, my general rule and principle is, Try not to take out debt for anything that doesn't appreciate in value. Okay, so if you're taking out debt for a house in a good market, that's a good thing because it's going to appreciate in value, right? So you're taking out a loan for something that's growing in value, but don't take out a loan, if at all possible, for something that depreciates in value. The, the classic one is like a car. Now, I realize that for, for some, you look at the car and say, well, but you know, Dave, I, I need the car for work. And, and so as a general principle, it's like, well, I, you know, I got to get a car. So, well then, so I said, well, at least this. If you're going to take a loan for a car, then you got to ask yourself at least one question. And is this, is are you buying the car for consumption or is it a means to get you from point A to point B, right? Because if, if you are more on the consumption side of the spectrum, you're often probably going to buy a car more than you need. If, and, and you're going to take out a loan more than you need. But if you think of your car primarily as a, a means to get you from point A to point B, it, it will change that calculation. Say, so, well, that's all I need. All I need is, you know, this kind of car. And I, you know, Hawaii, we need AC. Okay, that's good, you know. Um, my, my, uh, my father, I think I told this story before. Uh, when I was in uh, Los Angeles in college, and he was going to buy me a car. And he told me, Dave, you know, uh, here's what I need. You know, I'll buy the car for you. He's like, thanks, Dad. You know, it's great. You know, I live in L.A. Everyone drives. He goes, okay, get a four-door car, get automatic transmission, uh, get air conditioning, power windows, power locks. Um, yeah, you know. So I was like, okay, Dad, no problem, right? And the car I got was two-door hatchback, stick shift, manual door locks, uh, it was, it was, there was no power steering, so it was hard to parallel park. Uh, didn't even come with a stereo. It was just, but I had the AC. And then he goes, what? What did you do? <laughs> right? I said, Dad, that's all I need. I said, I just needed to get from point A to point B. And, and I'll tell you this. Um, Dad bought me the car. This is what, 1991, I think, for $9,600. I sold the car in 1995, so four years later, for like $6,000. I said, that's not bad, you know? But the thing is, I was trying to follow the principle of saying, but dad, I just need the car to get me from point A to point B. I didn't need anything fancy. Um, and by the way, I needed to learn how to drive stick shift, so I, bought, I learned on that brand new car how to drive stick shift. That was, that was interesting, by the way. Um, but I share that with you because it's all part to me of that principle of following the law of contentment. Is asking yourself the right question, right? It's like, why am I really going to debt for something? Or why, why am I buying something? So as we go through this, I'm going to share with you now, the Bible has five damaging effects of always wanting more and not 
having contentment. Okay, so these, these five damaging effects. So we're going to cover that. And you can think of these as uh, when you ask yourself, uh, am I following the law of contentment? Am I really truly living a life of contentment as the Bible teaches? Um, maybe, you know, gauge to see if any of these symptoms are your own. And that might be a check for you to say, well, maybe I got to do something about this, okay? So the first damaging effect of not following this law of contentment is, number one, wanting more will bring more fatigue. It brings more fatigue. You're going to be more tired if you're not following the law of contentment because if you're always wanting more, you're working harder. You're working, continue harder for more and you're, you're all the time, you're, there's a, it becomes a symptom. You're like, oh man, I'm so tired because I just keep working and working for this, this thing I'm, I'm striving for. You know, and, and I think you know, it's been said pretty well that for most people, they give up their health in the first half of their life, right, in order to get money, right? So they work, they give up their life, especially like, I think of the friends of mine who are investment bankers, you know? They give up their whole livelihood in the first half of their life to make all this money. And then what happens in the second half of their life? They spend all that money to get the health that they lost in the first half of their life. In Proverbs 23, 4, it says this, Do not wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Right? Do not wear yourself out to be rich. So that is, like, biblically, one um, damaging effect when you're not following the law of contentment. Now, the second effect you'll see when you're not following contentment is when you want more, it also brings more expenses, right? You know, Tam calls this like money chasing money, Dave, right? Um, In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 11, it says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Like, what? And by the way, Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon, right? Smartest guy who ever lived, right? Proverbs. Solomon, smartest guy who ever lived, richest guy who ever lived. So he knows what he's talking about. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend. And, okay, so here's a good example. Here in Hawaii, I also looked this up. No surprise, our electricity rates are absolutely the highest in the country by a long shot, all right? So when I looked it up, we pay something like 35 cents a kilowatt hour, all right? The U.S. total average is about 12 and a half cents. We pay double for our electricity than anywhere else in the country. Even Alaska, 19 and a half cents, right? It's crazy. So why do I tell you this? Because on a hot, muggy day like it's been these last few weeks, the conversation I'm having with Tammy is, man, we got to get the central AC or we got to get the split unit, you know? That, that Mitsubishi's Fujitsu thing, right? We got to get that because I'm dying over here, right? But then, you know, there might be a sale in air conditioners and all this stuff, but you got to keep in mind what else comes with it is the 35 cents a kilowatt hour you're going to pay for. It's because money chases money. And I know someone who lives in Hawaii, and I know kid you, okay, 
whose electricity bill every month is $1,500. I, I, I literally almost fell out of my chair. I was like, what? Wait, what? Yeah, $1,500 a month. Person does not have photovoltaic system, I tell you that. And, and this person, you might think, oh, but they must have a big family, right? No, they don't. They don't even have kids living with them at all. I'm like, what, what can take $1,500? I mean, is there a central AC? There's a heater for the pool. There must be like lights for the landscaping. You know, maybe they got multiple refrigerators. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe the man cave is like Arctic degree, 20 degree below zero. I don't know. But it just blew me away. The other piece of it is the more money you have, somehow what happens is then you start to say, well, I need an accountant because my, my finances are so complicated now. I, I need help, right? Or maybe like you say, like, I need a housekeeper because, you know, I got, my house is so big and I'm working so much, I need a housekeeper. And, oh, yeah, you know what? My, my, you know, I, need, I need a landscaper now, too, to take care of all my stuff. So money starts to chase money. And the more money you have, the more people you're going to have to help you spend it. In Ecclesiastes 5.11, right, it also says, so what's the advantage of wealth except to watch it run through your fingers? <laughs> Got to tell you something. This was convicting to me, right? I don't do my own taxes. My dad was a CPA, <laughs> um, but I, I hated that stuff. I don't do my own taxes, so guess what? I have an accountant. She handles our taxes, and I spend several hundred dollars a year for her to file all my stuff. I don't have a housekeeper yet, but I can tell you, Tam and I are so busy and we feel so bummed because our house is always so messy. We can't have people over, right? Our small group are like, oh, we can't have people over for a small group. So we're like, oh, we should get a housekeeper, right? I don't know who has a housekeeper, but to me, that's at least, what, a hundred something bucks a month, right? I don't have a yard guy, Right? But if you looked at my yard, you would know I don't have a yard guy, right? I got grass dying, you know? I, I got weeds, you know, everywhere. Um, and, and I was just like, this past, the weekend before last, I was like, um, behind my house, there's like a river, and I was there like pulling vines, and I was like going crazy. I was like doing all kinds of stuff because, you know, this river is growing crazy. And I was just like tired. And every time I work in the yard, I literally probably spend about the whole day and I'm exhausted, and I'm hot, and I'm like, oh, man, I get all cut up. I'm like, I got to hire a yard guy. <laughs> um, and then, I, then, of course, then you say, well, if I'm hot and tired, and I'm, you know, and I'm doing the yard, I got to have the pool so I can jump into the pool, right? Again, you know, money's chasing money. But I say this because it was so convicting to me that the more you have, the more people you're going to have to help you spend it. So, you know, when you say, look, I'm just, Dave, I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses, the response is, don't, because they just filed for bankruptcy, you know? And we think we don't make enough. We think that's the problem, is we just don't make enough money for our lifestyle, but the truth is, we just want too much. And that's the real problem. So like me, I think we got to let the Ecclesiastes 5.11 sink in and be a good check for us. And, and just be mindful when you see that the things you acquired in your life start to increase your daily living expenses too. Yeah, This is like money begets money. The third negative effect here, you got to be careful, is that wanting more 
also brings more anxiety. Yeah, wanting more brings more anxiety. It's a damaging effect to you. The more you have, the more you're going to have to worry about, right? Uh, I'll tell you this. I never, ever worry about my beach house running down, right? I don't worry about the ocean air, like, rusting out the gutters and the ACs at the beach house. I don't worry about it at all because I don't own one, you know? And that's the point, right? The fewer things you own, the fewer things you have to worry about. And if you take this even a step further, we have so many things in our lives today, we can't even store them in our houses, right? You look at all the self-storage places around town, I go like, where did all that stuff that's in there come from, right? And, and, and we're paying rent for stuff that we hardly even use. And I know I've mentioned this to you before. If you haven't been out to Hawaii Kai recently, right, and it's been there for a while, actually, there's a self-storage unit kind of right by um, City Mill in Hawaii Kai, uh, by Roy's and all that, um, and, and Outback Steakhouse. I'm, I'm not joking. The self-storage unit has an ocean view. I, I, it's nuts. I mean, you drive by, like, wow, you know? It literally, the, the storage unit has an ocean view. I think it's air-conditioned. I think it has sec- better security than our own homes. And, and what kind of anxiety is that building? And what does that say when we have self-storage units like that, right? I'm like, what? You know? Ecclesiastics 5.12, okay? So the verse right after says, A working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much that he stays awake worrying. And what is the rich man worrying about? How to save it, how to invest it, how to maintain it, how to insure it, how to avoid taxes. So if you have more fatigue, plus the more expenses, plus the more anxiety, then I can assure you that you're not leading the life that God really wants for you. And you're not living wisely. The fourth thing, effect of of when you want more, is that it brings more conflict. Quite frankly, it just brings more conflict. Because when you're tired and you're stressed out about your expenses that's growing and you're you're anxious about, you know, what am I doing with my money and where is it going, you're going to get into more fights, right? It's kind of common sense stuff. You have more conflict and you're going to bring that conflict into your family. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, a greedy man brings trouble to his family. A greedy man brings trouble to his family. We know today that the number one cause of divorce is what? Financial, finances, money issues. It's always been the number one challenge. When, when Tammy and I used to teach a pre-marriage class here, um, we spent a lot of time on the financial model, module because inevitably, inevitably for young couples, they go in and they're all like, you know, big dreams, like, yeah, you know, we're getting married, yeah. It's all the good stuff. But in Hawaii, finances become really, really a a potentially divisive thing in in a couple. And every study shows this, right? That it's not, you know, till death do us part anymore. It's till debt do us part, right? I mean, that's kind of where it's become. And for a lot of couples, what we had seen in in pre-marriage 
is they were spending all of their attention and all of their energies in planning for the wedding. Not necessarily their life. They're, they're like, I always wanted the big dress, you know? I always wanted to have it, you know, this huge reception, right? And it had to be at the fancy hotel, and I got to have two carving stations, right? And I got to have this and that, and I, oh, it's, you know, 50 of my best friends in my wedding party, right? And it's like, it just starts piling up, and then they go into debt for the wedding. And how are they starting off their marriage and their life together? They're starting it in debt, right? And so our advice to them was like, just dial it back, just dial it back, right? There's some good stuff there, but we've got to prioritize. Got to prioritize. I mean, I mean you, you know, in Hawaii too, I don't know if this is the case in the mainland. I think it's similar, but you get, you get all that stuff. You got to have the photographer, but now there's the photographer that you take pictures before the wedding, right? So there's pictures of you kind of, you know, at the beach before at the, at the ceremony, right? Then you get the videographer who now they, they rush and then they show the video from the ceremony at the reception, you got to have that. you got to have the live musician, right? Uh, it's, it's all this stuff. Oh, and don't forget the honeymoon for the trip to Europe, you know, the dream trip to Europe. Need I say more, all right? That's what we, we dealt with in these marriage classes. And now, you know, if you read in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 6, verse 9, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin. This is talking about debt, right? Financial ruin and destruction. Why? Because when you long to be rich and you have these big dreams, you also become uh, a sitting duck for those get-rich-quick th- uh, schemes, right? You, you can fall prey to this. And at the bank, again, I work at the bank, we see this every single year without fail that there's always somebody who is falling victim to a get-rich-quick scheme. A stranger is telling them, you know, hey, send me money, and uh, you won the lottery, but, you know, I happen to be in Nigeria. You know? It happens. It happens. Every year this happens. And I think it's because at the root of it, right, because when you you step back, people always go like, yeah, that wasn't the best thing I should have done, Right? But at the root of it is, I think the person is discontent. I, I think they're looking for a way maybe to like make a quick, fast buck. Because when they really think about it, if something's too good to be true, it always is. Right? That should be your check. There's, there's no such thing as just like, you know, like, hey, you know, I, I won the lottery. But wait a minute, I, I never signed up for the lottery, Right? The fifth consequence of always wanting more is it just brings more dissatisfaction. Just quite simply, it brings more dissatisfaction. We think that having more stuff will make us happy, right? And having more will make us more secure, make us feel more important. Having more will, will make us feel, even in some cases, more loved. But none of that is true, right? What is true is you can buy happiness, but only for the short term. The feelings don't last, and they go away very quickly, right? And, and the classic case for this is new cars. I think I told you again, I used to run lending at the bank, and um, I was surprised when I first was learning about the business that you know what the average car loan 
length of the car loan is, is 28 months. That means about two and a half years. People who typically were taking out car loans were only keeping their cars for about two and a half years. And, and that means that what's happening is people are taking out a loan and then two and, about two and a half years later, they're like, oh, okay, I'm on to the next one. They're trading in that car for the next one. And if you think about that for a moment, right? The moment you drive that new car off the lot, right? It already depreciated $10,000 because it can never be sold as new anymore, right? And then about two and a half years later, you don't care about that car anymore. That's that new car smell is gone, right? All the cool features are gone and you're like looking on to the next thing. Like, oh, but it doesn't have the satellite radio that I can get like the, uh, the Russian language radio station in my car now. You know, I was talking to this, this uh, friend of mine I knew, this place I work on. She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, my husband got a great car. It's awesome. I got what? Tesla, right? So how did you know, right? She goes, oh, the best part, it has satellite radio I can get from anywhere in the world, you know? I'm like, that's pretty cool, you know? But the next, you know, what's the next thing? There's always a next thing. How content are we? Right? How content are we? Are are, are we tired? Are our expenses increasing? Are we worrying about money? Maybe there's conflict in our own families over money. Are we dissatisfied in, in short, after just a little while after you purchase something? Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 5.10. Again, it says this. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. It's foolish to think that wealth brings happiness. So let me ask you a question. Gut level, and you just be really honest with yourself here, right? How many of you would say right now that you would like to live a life of less fatigue, less expenses, less anxiety, less conflict, and less dissatisfaction, right? And if that's you, and I think everyone would answer, yeah, that's me. And that, the answer is the life and the law of contentment. You must learn the law of contentment. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, it is better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. All right, and then Paul talks about in Philippians four twelve, and this is one I think we know pretty well. Uh, he says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether living in plenty or in want. And I think what's, what's remarkable about Paul's uh, talking about that there is that word secret. And if you were to underline it or circle it, he says, I've learned the secret of being content. And, and why it, it kind of struck me on that, in that phrase there, in that passage, is because he's saying this is not something that comes naturally. It's a secret. It's something we've got to learn. It's not something that we're kind of born, you know, to be content. It's not, it's not innate. It's a secret. And it's something that we got to practice and we got to learn and we got to sort of unwind how we're, how we're wired. And so because of that, I'm going to give you four keys to learning the secret of the laws of contentment. Right? So we know all the five damaging consequences of it. We're going to go now to the four keys to help you achieve this contentment we've been talking about. And the first one and this is a real powerful one now. 
stop comparing myself to others. Just stop comparing myself to others. Because you gotta know that God made each of you unique. God made each of you unique. You're, you're one in a million, you're one in billions, right? Nope, God never made two people exactly the same. So you can't copy anybody else. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. But the problem is, we do this all the time. Right? You know what I mean, right? You walk into someone's house for the first time, and what's the first thing that goes on, right? I love that floor, right? Or like, hey, what, what did you do there? Or like, that, that's an awesome whatever, right? Drapes, you know? Where did you get that? Or that, that painting on the wall, that's awesome. You know, we do it, right? Or you meet somebody like, you know, hey, where did you get your hair done? I, I don't say that, but you know, I mean, right? That's so nice where you got your hair. My hair kind of sucks, you know? But a really good friend of mine lives in Orange County, okay? Orange County, California is a pretty wealthy area of, of, uh, of the country, really. And uh, we went visiting them, and... Uh, I hadn't seen him in many years, but we go to the back of his house, and he has this amazing outdoor deck. I mean, just crazy amazing. Okay, so let me explain to you. We get out to the deck, and literally, there's like two flat screen TVs, okay? There was like uh, a fire pit. Uh, There was a bar, you know, a wet bar. Uh, There was like in the center, this huge table that like eight of us or 10 of us sat around very comfortably. In the middle of a table, was this like gas-fired like flame that you, you turn it on and it was only like this high. I'm like, what's that for? It's like, oh, it keep us, you know, keep us warm, you know? Um, and then, you know, I had like speakers, like really nice speakers. And I go, I know exactly what you do with this place. I said, you do your fantasy football draft here, don't you, right? He's like, yeah, <laughs> you know? But he had this beautiful thing and then landscape garden, right? And I'm like, I'm like, dude, how much this thing costs? He goes, yeah, it was kind of expensive. I'm like, well, 100 grand. I'm like, 100 grand? I'm thinking, man, if we, if we did that in Hawaii, that'd be like 150 grand, and that's the price of like somebody's condominium and house in some parts of the country, right? But this is the thing that blew me away. He goes, yeah, so um, uh, he goes, you know, we got it because our friends got it. So we used the same contractor. And then, and then that same contractor He's, he's now doing it at all their other friends' houses. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, oh, no, there's like five of us. And he's building the same thing for all five of them. I'm like, and what do you guys do? Just like hop to everyone's house? You know, it's the same. And it's just amazing outdoor deck, right? Of course, going through my, my mind is like, Tam, what you think? Outdoor deck. I mean, that'd be awesome, right? But that's what I mean. I mean, it's like it started because somebody said, you know, in Orange County, right? They said, we got to have the outdoor deck. we got to have it. And the contract is just like, yeah, you got to have it, you know? <laughs> Cha-ching, you know? But Orange County, gang, we know is not unique, right? It's not unique, right? We must learn that you know, the, the opposite of that is we got to admire something without having to acquire something, right? we got to be able to go to a friend's house and, and, and really... And just like, like be very happy in their prosperity, but not be like, oh, I got to have that too, you know? I got to have the, the 
you know, fantasy football draft location for next year, you know? We got to just be saying, that's awesome for you, you know? So what, we can come over your house or what, you know, for fantasy football? That's what we should be doing. Rather than everyone go build their own, right? But this is one of the great principles that I think here in America we don't understand. We all got to own it to enjoy it, you know? But yet the opposite is true. You don't have to own it to enjoy it at all. Then, you know, this, like I said, this past week, we were at a, at a beach house with some from friends of ours. And I just casually threw out the idea to Tammy. I'm like, hey, so what? Should we buy a beach house or what, you know? And, and then I'm preparing for this message, and I'm totally convicted, right? I'm like, oh, man, okay? But here's the conversation that goes with Tammy. It gives you good flavor, right? I go, hey, Tam, wouldn't it be great if we had our own beach house? Or maybe cabin in the mountains. That'd be awesome, right? To which Tammy, because, you know, she's Tam and she likes to entertain me, you know, my, my crazy ideas, she'd be like, well, Dave, you know, if we did, then we should downsize our current house and maybe buy a condo, right? Because then we'd be spending all of our weekends and all, you know, at the beach house or the cabin, right? I'm like, hmm. So, I, of course, I respond, okay, 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 we can do that. So why don't we go look at condos at one Alamoana then, you know? It, it, anyway, so anyway, one Alamoana is a very expensive place. But I, I, I say that because it's, it's this kind of conversation happens every day, right? People are starting to like, like have these big dreams like, oh, we should buy this and own this and hey, can't afford it. And we shouldn't be, even if we could in some ways, right? But it starts because you're comparing yourself to other people. And what the Bible actually says is, it's a sin. It's not just like, oh, don't do it. It's a sin. In fact, it's such a serious sin that God put it in his big ten, right? The ten commandments, right? He put it there right alongside, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, which we all feel like, nah, okay, okay, okay. But then... Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Look in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. You should not covet anything that, doesn't, that belongs to your neighbor. You can't look at something your neighbor has and wish you had that and start comparing and coveting because God says that's a sin. And what is coveting? What does that mean? Because we don't talk about it that much. But in your notes, we put that there. Coveting, as defined, and Rick Warren defines it like this, means the uncontrolled desire to acquire. The uncontrolled desire to acquire. And that's what it means. And in, in the, the word covet in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, literally means to pant after. <laughs> right? And in Greek, it means to grab or grasp so tightly that your hands are tight and you can't even let it go. So it means to covet. And you'll know you're coveting something because if God ever gives you something and he tells you to give it away and you can't, that's when you know you're coveting. That's when you know that you don't own that thing that God gave you. It owns you because you can't let it go. Joshua and I were reading a story in one of his books about how they catch raccoons. And one of the ways to catch raccoons is 
they, they put a little shiny object in a trap, and there's a little hole for the paw to fit in. And what the raccoon does is grabs the thing, but then the thing is too big for it to fit back through the hole. So if the raccoon just let go of the thing, the shiny object, it could get out. But once it grabs it, it doesn't let go, and it's stuck. I think in the same way for us, when we covet something, we're like that raccoon. We covet it, and we can't let it go. We say, no, it, it's, it's a good job. It's, it's, you know, that bigger job. It's status, or it's that big house, or, you know, the Maserati, you know, the Audi, you know, and I, I, I cannot let it go. Now we know we're coveting. It's a sin. In Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says, If God gives a man wealth and prosperity, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. And that takes us to the second point. Right? We've got to enjoy what we have. We've got to stop comparing ourselves, but we've got to enjoy what we do have already. Too often, we're not thankful for what God has already given us. I know people who buy, you know, have bought a very expensive house, but then they don't have enough to go furnish it because they're working so hard just to pay for the house. One of, one of the friends of mine uh, who's in our small group, he had this, this awesome statement he made in, in our small group. He said, you know, we've got to be so grateful for everything God gives us. And he said, so, you know, just this afternoon, I was pouring myself a glass of milk and I said, oh God, thank you for this milk, you know? And we all started laughing, right? We're like, that's so funny. He's thanking God for milk, right? But the truth is, that is so profound. That's exactly what what we should be doing. We should be thanking God for even the little things in our lives. And here are a couple things that I'm so thankful for. One, hot water, (laughs) you know? Hot showers, Right? There are times when, I don't know if this happened to you, but when the power goes out, I forget to go to the water heater timer and reset it because the, the clock is all thrown off. And I get in the shower, and it's like it run out of hot water. I'm like taking cold shower. I'm like, oh, man, it sucks, right? And I'm reminded at how good hot showers are. I'm also reminded, okay, I'll tell you guys this. And I, I think I've already publicly stated this already. So I'm a spa guy. I like to go to spas, okay? There I said it again, Okay? <laughs> I love spas, and my favorite spa is the Lanivai Spa at the Disney Aulani Resort, okay? The reason why I like it so much is outside, they have these five outdoor showers, okay? One of them, you go under the thing, and it dumps like five gallons of warm water on your head. It's like, boom! You're like, ah! You know? I love it. I don't know why. It's just one of the joys in my life is taking these warm showers, you know? Go figure. Okay, getting real personal with you guys. Now, the other thing I love, which I realize, is air conditioners. Like, I, especially, like Neil, I mean, he can't live without air conditioners over there. But I tell you a story. I was in Paris. I was in Paris, yes. And, and I, was, I was staying at a hotel that was air conditioned, was nice. But across the street was a hotel that was like $50 cheaper a night. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to save money because I'm on a per diem. So I checked out of the hotel room I was in. I went to the other one, and guess what? After I checked in, I'm like, no AC. So that night, it was hot. It was muggy. I checked out the next morning and went back to the other hotel. I'm like, that's it, you know? And in my car, if you ever travel with me, that AC is always on. Always on. It's like 
next ignition, there's the AC button, it's, it's on. I do not travel without the AC. And you remember the car I bought, when my, from my dad bought for me, it had AC, but it never had stereo, you know? We have a lot to be happy about, but the point is this, right? Happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. It has less to do with our circumstances and more to do with our attitude. Because we choose our happiness. In 1 Timothy, yeah, we talk about in, in verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And you might be saying, first of all, hey, wait, 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 Dave, that's not me. I'm not rich. Okay, but I'm going to tell you, if you live here in America, you're rich, okay? You are. Because if you already have a refrigerator, you're in the top 5% of the world, okay? So you got to get over it. you got to get over that, okay? But the Bible does say this, and you continue on verse 18. It says, tell them, and these, these are the, the rich people, that's us, right? To use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. I'm going to go on to the third, third uh, key here. Life is not about things. Life is just not about all the things. Yeah, it's not about the Sunday ad with all the stuff on sale, right? In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Watch out and guard yourselves from every kind of greed because your true life is not made up of the things you own, no matter how rich you may be. I think I shared with you my, the story when my, aunt, my Auntie Gladys passed away and we're cleaning out her apartment and she had all her jewelry and all her stuff there, all the things she held so dear. And I just realized when I was cleaning out her apartment, she had no sons, no daughters. Uh, I said, you know what? When you die, you take none of this with you. None of this stuff goes with you. Proverbs 30 says, Oh God, I ask for two things from you before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. And that's a scary prayer in some way to to pray because it's easy to say, God, I don't want to be too poor. Yeah. But what do you say? God, I don't want to be too rich. Like, what? Because the danger of being too rich is then you think you created all that wealth and what do you need God for? Let's go to the fourth thing. Focus on what will last forever. Okay, focus on what will last forever. I got a call from my Auntie Alice on Friday who lives in California and she and my Uncle Bruce were like my second fam- my parents when I lived in California. They took, took, took care of me. I lived with them for several months Anyway, she calls to tell me that Uncle Bruce has a terminal condition and he's, he's not going to live much longer. This, on top of this past week, both of my parents were in the hospital and now are in rehab, okay? And I'm just looking at all these people who are like the pillars of my life and I'm thinking, man, they're getting older. And I think, you know, this is so true that, you know, things that you think are going to last forever just don't. 
I mean, even this building that we're in right now, one day will fall down. The tree outside will die, right? Nothing lasts forever except two things. One is the word of God lasts forever. And the other one we do know is people. People. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. In Matthew 24, 35. Right? In, in Isaiah 48, it says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And this is why, if the word of God is forever, it's so important for us to read the Bible. Because it's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the word of God is forever. And the other thing is people. And I'm not talking about people here on earth, but, but when you die, you go to one of two places, heaven or hell. Because Jesus said, heaven and hell are real. And Jesus is not a liar. So if there's no heaven or hell, right, then you would say that Jesus' coming and dying on the cross was a total waste. But because there is a heaven and a hell, and because that is forever, it's important that we invest in the people that we have here in our lives today, in the relationships that are here today. You don't take the Mercedes or the Maserati with you after you die. But that personal relationship with a friend, that impact you made in their life, the fact that you maybe you brought the kingdom of God to them is eternal. This week we were at the beach house and, and Neil Murakami and I were discussing why we do what we do at our jobs. And I think when it came down to it, I think it was simply this. And I know we're still trying to figure this out, Neil, right? But I think we said simply, it's, we think it's to invest in people, in building relationships, and in that way, extending God's kingdom to them in some way. I think that's what we do what we do. And that's why I also think it's equally important, and Max, Pastor Max talked about it, if you're not in a small group, join a small group. Because those are the two things that are going to happen and you're going to invest in in the small group. One is you're going to get into the Word of God more than you're going to get by just sitting here and listening to, to the person speaking up here. Okay? And that's, you're investing in eternity there. The second thing you're investing in is people and relationships. And that also is eternal. And that's why small groups are so important. Super important for you to get plugged into a small group. Because you're investing in what's forever. Right? Invest there more than in, you know, the Lexus, you know, or investing in that car you're thinking about buying. I think I invite you today to just get off the treadmill and adopt God's value system. I think I shared with you the, the five consequences of wanting more. And now there's really the four keys to help you follow this law of contentment. In our society, we... I think society keeps telling us that it's all about individual achievement. And I think it's because there's less resources, there's more people, and so we just, by nature, we're competing for like these limited resources. And so we put all of our efforts into our kids, into our ch you know, children's way. You've got to achieve individually. When I think we've got to be very careful that what we're not imparting to our kids and we're not instilling in our own hearts is this desire to just want more. And that more will get us happiness. Because that is absolutely not true. Instead, we should focus, I believe, in the Word of God. 
in strengthening the relationships in our life, in strengthening our relationships with the Lord. And the myth of the world uh, that you can have it all is just exactly that. It's a myth. You don't need it to be happy. You don't need to have all to be happy. Happiness is what you choose and make of it. And so the secret of contentment that Paul talks about is, and if you get one thing, get this, I think, right? The secret of the contentment that Paul is talking about is finding satisfaction not in what you have, but in whose I am and who I belong to, and you find that in Christ. It's not what you have and not what you accumulate in this world, but it's in, in that realization that you belong to Christ. And that's where your true contentment is going to come from. In Psalm 17, you know, but as for me, my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. And when I awake in heaven one day, I will be fully satisfied, for I will see you face to face. That's what it's about. That's where our contentment should be. It's our relationship with the Lord, right? Knowing that we are his. Would you stand with me and let's close in prayer. You might be someone today that, you know, we went through a lot. I'm sorry we went a little bit longer. Um, But maybe you're tired, you know? Maybe you feel like you're on that treadmill, in the rat race. You got added expenses. Maybe you have anxiety about money. Maybe there's conflict in your family. I'm not sure. Maybe you're just dissatisfied with what you have. That's possible too. These are the symptoms of this law of contentment that maybe you're not truly following. And if this is you, I just ask that you'd bow your heads with me now and pray this prayer in your heart. Dear God, I've been, I've been fooled into thinking that having more will make me more happy. And God, I've been so busy trying to get more that I'm tired and have no time to enjoy and be grateful for what I already have. And yet, Lord, you have given me so much. Forgive me for comparing myself to others. Forgive me for coveting. And help me to find my contentment, Lord, in you, not in possessions and not in what other people think of me. And help me to remember that life is not about things. And most of all, Lord, I want to find my satisfaction in you, Jesus. Jesus Christ, become the manager of my life. Guide me in this area and in every other area of my life. I want to learn to love you and to trust you from this day forward. In your name, amen. So, uh, I, I pray for you for financial fitness, but I pray that you would get this one principle really, really clearly, and that is the law of contentment. As I started out saying this morning, as Josh was saying, right, it's just don't spend so much and don't want so much. And I think that's kind of basically what it boils down to. God bless you and have a great week.